0: Ski, Shoot, Repeat, a biathlon podcast hosted by Lizzie Boyle. Episode 22 of Gods and Monsters. A long, long time ago, two trolls called Yatta and Katta were sitting beside a lake. It's not clear why they were there, but they were definitely there for some time, as the story tells us that they were brewing things in their cauldrons, for days, weeks and months before the magic happened. There was a groaning sound, and then a large bang, and from one of the cauldrons there came a large, dark creature, with the body of a serpent and the head of a cat. The creature slithered into the lake and the trolls disappeared. The lake is now known as Storsion, which translates to Great Lake in English. A more modern legend tells us that the lake is actually a re-engineered version of three lakes remodelled by man in the early 1900s to support trade and shipping. On the banks of Storsion stands the town of Östersund to which we will return later. For a long time the creature in the lake terrorised the villages on its shores. It grew so big that it encircled the island of Frozon and the lake, and could bite its own tail. It came to be known as Juret. Further south, a young goat herder named Kettle encountered another shepherd. They became friends, and Kettle went to stay with him. There was a curious old man in the house, the shepherd's master, and he had a mysterious box with him. Intrigued, Kettle waited until the others were asleep, and stole the box. It contained three rune stones, and he had stolen them from Odin. Sometime later, after he had managed to defeat Odin in a battle of wills over the stones, Kettle came to the lake Storsion. He had heard about the monster, and was here to help. He cast a rune stone on the island of Frozon, Which bound the monster to the bottom of the lake, securely held there until someone came along who could read the runes. About 50,000 people live in Ostersund, safe now from the lake monster, and over the past two weeks they were joined by thousands more for the start of the IBU Biathlon World Cup season. Trolls, rune bringers, gods, and monsters stand aside. The season has begun. As we look back on the racing in Ostersund, let's start with the runes. Kettle tethered the monster to the bottom of the lake until someone came along who could read those runes. And I can pretty much guarantee that no one read the runes for the race results over the past 10 days. We started, and it seems like months ago now, with the mixed relays. In the single mixed relay, everything seemed to be going to some preordained plan, with the first win of the season going to the hosts, Sweden, after a strong performance from Hannah Erberg and Seb Samuelsson. Norway took second, with relative newcomer Uni Arnikliev performing well. France came third, with a strong race from Julia Simon, making up for problems on the range for Fabienne Claude. There were strong performances for Slovenia, Austria and Switzerland, based on some great shooting. In the mixed relay the French men had trouble on the range, But there were great 10 out of 10 performances from Justine Brézard-Boucher and Lou Jammerner to give France the win. Norway came second. They had been going well, but then Caroline Knotten had a bad standing shoot and they couldn't claw their way back. It's Luke took third after some strong shooting from Lietze Vitotzi saw off a challenge from Vanessa Voigt and Germany. So far, so 2022. The big nations dominating and some of the big names performing as you would expect. And then things started to get weird. Not all out weird straight away, just a little bit weird at first. And then more and more so, the rune readers had to go back and consult their stones again. This was not what we had been led to expect. Someone unleashed some monsters from the lake. They came slowly. The women's individual went to Lisa Vitozzi of Italy with a controlled shooting performance, missing only one, and some great early season speed on the tracks. But who was behind her? The clean shooting pair of Franziska Preuss and Vanessa Voigt from Germany. This was Preuss' return to biathlon after finishing last season early, following a long period of physical illness and mental burnout. It turns out that relaxing, building a house, and spending time traveling in Thailand is good for you. Preuss came second by just 0.1 of a second, with Voigt 10 seconds back in third the other new monsters in the women's individual race, the Norwegians. After the retirement of Marta Oldsbury-Roisland and Tyrell Ekhoff at the end of last season, no one expected that much from them. And yet, here they were. Caroline Knotten exercising her relay demons to come fourth, Ingrid Tandrewold in seventh, Marta Johansson in eighth, and Marit Skogen with a start number of 100, finishing in tenth. Later that same Sunday, the men's individual. The pre-race favourites, Norwegians, French and Swedish, all struggled on the range. And it was the German team that took advantage again. Roman Rees and Justus Strello both shot 19 out of 20 and have found some new ski speed which pushed them to unexpected first and second places. Johannes Tingisbo, looking not quite himself, shot 18 out of 20 and came third. More on him later. The racing at Ostersund spread across two weekends, giving us a couple of days in between to sit and reflect and look at our runes again. Had anyone seen this coming? We knew that the German team had been shooting well. The women have always been accurate, and the men were improving too. But now they had speed as well. And you never know how people will start the season. Perhaps it's just a case of getting back into racing. Perhaps everything will revert to normal once the racing starts again. Let's see. We resumed with the women's relay, and here it was the up-and-coming Norwegian team that took glory. Marta Johansen led off and shot clear, ice in her veins. Then Arnecliev, Gnotten and Tandrevold did what they needed to do. Sweden had a chance to win, but Hannah Erberg struggled in the standing shoot, and they could only manage second, ahead of, you guessed it, Germany. The men's relay was probably the race that went to form, with Norway taking a relatively comfortable win over France and, oh, Germany. And then we got to the sprints and pursuits. The women's sprint was wide open. Hannah Erberg went off in bib number one and perhaps suffering under pressure from the home crowd shot eight out of ten. Vanessa Voigt and Francesca Preuss were early starters and despite a couple of misses were able to put fast times together and take an early lead at the finish. Lisa Vitozzi shot clean but struggled for speed. We'd heard that she wasn't well and you could see that she was a little slower on the tracks, perhaps just getting the job done with a view to the long season ahead. She still came ninth, which is pretty phenomenal when you're not well. And suddenly, the tracks started to get faster, it seemed, and a whole bunch of performances emerged. Tandrevold, Arne Kleev and Knoten started in quick succession. Arne and Knoten both shot nine out of 10 and moved to the top of the standings. But out on the track was Lou jean Manot of France, She burst onto the scene last season with raw ski speed and good enough shooting to get her into the top ten, even the top five on occasion. This year, she's more measured, she's making sure of her targets, even at the cost of a bit more time in the range, and she's skiing well. A ten out of ten at the range and a strong physical effort brought her in eight seconds ahead of Knotten at the top of the leaderboard, for her maiden win. The women's pursuit two days later was one for the ages, if you get the chance to watch it, you really should. You can watch it on demand for free at EurovisionSports.tv online, or if you have a Eurosport player subscription. Remember, the pursuit format is based on the positions and time gaps in the sprint, like a handicap race, and the first person to cross the line is the winner. For much of the race, it was a group effort, with Lou Jean Monod dropping back from her sprint lead and sitting towards the back of the group looking tired. Around her, Voigt, Preuss, Tandravol, Arne Klief and Sweden's Elvira Erberg were doing all the work on the tracks. To borrow someone else's phrase, everyone else was playing checkers, but Lou Minot was playing chess. She admitted after the race that she felt tired for the first half but then stronger as the race went on. She was also patient on the range, the only one of the top group to hit 20 out of 20. Even with that, she started the final lap with Franziska Preuss, Germany again, and it was Preuss who took an early advantage. But Jeanne Minot knew what she was doing and found the strength to catch Preuss and then the tactical nous to carry her speed into an early sprint, overtaking Preuss and winning by 0.3 of a second. Just stunning from Lou Jeanne Minot. Oh, and in third, behind Preuss, Vanessa Voigt of Germany. Genuinely incredible performances from some of these women, who would have been picked for top tens, perhaps, but not for multiple podium and top five places in the first week of the season. On the men's side, our expectations were trumped once again. Last year, Johannes Tingersburg of Norway was almost literally unbeatable. This year, in the sprint, he started with a 7 out of 10 shooting performance and couldn't find the speed to break into the top 15. Quentin Fillon-Maillet and Emilien jacquelin of France struggled too, so the way was left clear for, you guessed it, the German team. In fact, this was a race headed by wily veterans, who could keep calm and go just fast enough. Philip Naurath, aged 30, from Germany, took the win, with a 10 out of 10, ahead of Tayebo Boe from Norway, also 10 out of 10, at the tender age of 35. It was left to Fabjorn Sturm and Norway, at the age of 25, to bring down the average age of the podium by finishing third. Notably, all three of the podium places in the sprint went to people who shot 10 out of 10. And despite Johannes' struggles, there were still five Norwegians in the top 10. Perhaps the most interesting or heartbreaking of all was Vettel Christensen. He was well positioned coming into the standing chute where he's usually as solid as a rock. This time, however, something flipped and he froze. The time between shots increased from two seconds to 10 to 20. He hit five out of five, but it took 66 seconds. It may have been quicker just to shoot and miss. Those lost seconds dropped him from a potential podium down to ninth place. It was so unusual for someone who's normally so comfortable on the range. And to reassure you, he bounced back in the pursuit race the following day. As for that pursuit, it was all about a local hero. As I talked about last episode, so many stories are about heroes going on journeys and this one was no different. Our hero, Sebastian Samuelson, started fourth, 26 seconds behind Philip Narath. He skied hard and fast to join a chasing group with Taye Bo and Verbjörn Sherum, then missed in the first shoot and dropped back. He did the same on the second lap, chased and chased, then missed another shot and dropped back. Remember, every missed shot is a journey around the penalty loop and a loss of about 25 seconds. By lap three, Christensen is moving up, but Narrath still has a comfortable lead. Our hero, Samuelsson, sees a glimmer of possibility. He clears the first standing shoot whilst others falter. And they come in for the final time, and it's four out of five each for Narath and Samuelsson. And now it's a ski race, and there's only ever going to be one winner. Our hero comes home first, to the cheers of the Swedish faithful, to take the final race of the Ostersund meet. Narath holds on for second, ahead of Christiansen and a slew of other Norwegian men. So we have some new monsters emerging from the lake. The German team, combining existing accuracy with newfound speed, Lou Jean who who's shown a lot of promise and can now start to believe in her ability to win, and the young Norwegian women who competed brilliantly, particularly Martha Johansson and Juni Arnekliev, who have least experience at this level. What of the old gods? What's happened to them? Last year, the men's sport was dominated by Johannes tingis with Stöhrer Ligrid usually following in second place. This year, Johannes has started with a third, an eighteenth and a fifteenth. Ligrid has a twelfth, a twentieth and a twenty-fifth. Their problems are similar but different. Neither has yet found their shooting form. But Ligrid also seems to have lost some speed he shot 19 out of 20 in the the individual race in Ostersund and could only finish 12th. Last year, when he shot 19 out of 20 in individual races, he finished 2nd and 4th. Now, some people are shooting clean, but the main issue here is, right now, Ligrid is just not not as fast as he has been. For Johannes, the problem's mainly on the range, and specifically in the prone shoot. He's shooting 79% right now, compared to 88% last year. This means that he's falling behind schedule early in races and having to ski harder to try to make time up. He's still the fastest skier out there, but, as we remind ourselves all the time, biathlon is not about skiing. It's about skiing and shooting. On the women's side, we've had a lot of changes. Some of last year's gods, Marta Oldsby Roysland, Tyrell Echoff, Denise Herman, have retired. Some are a little slower, Dorothy Avira, perhaps, while others, particularly Julia Simon, haven't found their place on the range just yet. A positive sign for Julia after a tough weekend, she moved up in the pursuit from 16th to 9th, a sign that the competitive space of head-to-head racing is still where she's strongest. And let's remember Lisa Vitozzi, winner of the individual, top 10 in the sprint and pursuit despite illness, and shooting 48 out of 50 across the solo races. Perhaps our review of Ostersund would have been a little different if she had been healthy. As for the oldest god of them all, Simon Eder of Austria? Well, he's still there at the age of 40, shooting brilliantly and skiing as fast as he can. He's at 94% in the prone and 84% in the stand, but losing about 5 seconds per kilometre against the fastest skiers. Perhaps the thing he's doing best is sharing his gospel among the Austrian teammates, who are among the best shots so far at this early stage of the season. Our story about the monster in the lake started with a couple of trolls sitting on the shore, creating things out of spite and mischief. The biathlon community is close-knit and friendly, and every fan I've encountered online and offline has been very supportive, even when their favourite athletes or nations have had a bad race or a bad season. So it was horrible to hear that Chloé Chevalier of France had received threats and abuse on social media following a bad standing shoot in the women's relay. There is a place for rivalry and partisanship in sports. We all root for our team and our favourites, and we can be secretly pleased when an opponent makes a mistake. But there is more room in sport for respect. Athletes and biathletes do incredible things, week in, week out, at a level that 99.9% of us could never dream of achieving, with a schedule that leaves very little room for anything else. Everyone has a bad day or a bad race from time to time. Chloe, by the way, bounced back in the sprint, shooting 9 out of 10, including a clear standing shoot, and finishing 12th. Ostersund gave us a lot of biathlon over 10 days or so of racing. This weekend we head to Hochfilzen in Austria for a more standard, slimline programme. On Friday the 8th of December we start with the two sprint races, the men at 10.30am UK time and the women at 1.25pm. On Saturday the 9th of December we have the two pursuit races, the men at 11.15 UK time and the women at 1.45. And on Sunday we finish with two relays, the men at 10.30am in the UK and the women at 1.15. Hockfilsen is described as the snowiest village in the Austrian Tyrol, so we can be hopeful of good conditions. It's a regular stop on the biathlon circuit, and one of the local hiking trails now has a biathlon themed route. Close to Hochfeltson is the Pilise, a mountain lake formed by a landslide 15,000 years ago, which offers amazing lake swimming. The small town of St Ulrich and Pilise is named for Ulrich, Bishop of Augsburg, a 10th century religious and military leader who was canonised soon after his death. St Ulrich is said to be the patron saint of pregnant women and easy births, so perhaps a trip to his home area bodes well for the incredible Biber Bendika of Latvia, who has returned to biathlon just two months after having a baby and who took a fantastic 36th place in the sprint race in Ostersund. Given how well the German team has started the season and how well the Austrians have been shooting, we can expect big, noisy crowds in Hockfilsen. Perhaps we can also expect what is known as regression to the mean. Statistically, over time, exceptionally good or bad performances get cancelled out and people revert to their typical level of performance. If that happens, we'd expect to see Johannes Tingisborn Sturr-Home Ligrid moving up the rankings in the men's field. If it doesn't, well, statistics can wait another week. So how to watch the biathlon this week? If you're in Europe, you can generally watch online at EurovisionSports.tv. It's free and official, but it won't be available in countries which show biathlon on national TV channels. So that's usually Norway, France and Denmark. I have no idea if those in North America or elsewhere in the world can watch Eurovision Sports TV or via the IBU website, biathlonworld.com, but please do let me know. If you have access to Eurosport in the UK or elsewhere, you can watch the races live on TV or on demand um, to catch up on Eurosport player. Now, there can be a lot to keep up with in some of the race formats, particularly the time trial ones like the sprint. You can't always see who's really competing with who. Racers may be at different stages of their race at the same time, so someone is finishing their last shoot just as someone else is setting off. The time trial formats, like the sprint, can also take time to unfold. You can spend several hours watching up to 100 people setting off on the tracks. The head-to-head formats, the relays, the pursuit and the mass start, are a lot more immediate. You'll know what's happening simply by looking at people's position on the track. Pursuits are great for this. Position on the track is position in the race. Plus you get the excitement of different race tactics from the hunters and the prey. Mostly, if you're new to watching biathlon, just pick someone who looks interesting or a national squad and follow them. Watch the races unfold. See who stands out amongst the ski suits. You'll find some superstars and some underdogs. You'll hear stories of people who have battled back from physical injury or mental health issues. People just starting out in their careers and old veterans. Fast skiers who can't shoot, fast shooters who can't ski. You'll see the painted rifles and the makeup and the glitter and the beards, and you'll find someone who speaks to you in a way that you can't explain, and suddenly you've become a fan. Search hashtag Biathlon on social media for like-minded people and enjoy. One last thing. I started this episode talking about the Great Lake Monster And now I'll end by introducing the little lake monster, or Berger. Berger is a little taller than a human, green-skinned, with dark splotches and a long tail, and is the imaginary child of the legendary Storchuljurit, who we heard about earlier. He's also the mascot for Biathlon in Ostersund, and previous listeners will know that I love mascots deeply. Honestly, if you've got this far, thank you for listening, but please now go and search Berger Teach Biathlon, B-I-R-G-E-R, Burger Teach Biathlon on YouTube for some utterly wholesome content and a way better explanation than I've ever been able to give of this incredible sport. Thank you for listening. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with links to all sorts of background information and sources at skishootrepeat.podbean.com. I'll be on social media during the racing um, at Hockfiltson. Look for at skishootrepeat across various platforms. Do say hello if you're online and let me know what you think of the racing. The next episode of Ski Shoot Repeat will include a recap from the racing in Hockfilsen and, as promised previously, a deep dive into something related to this sport. I had promised to talk about food and nutrition, um, so endurance, sports diets, and whether carrots can make you see better may well come up next time. Thank you for listening to Ski Shoot Repeat. I've been Lizzie Boyle.